Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we'll be finishing out, Lord willing, chapter 3 this evening. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 uh, through 29. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 29. Spent a good deal of study on this passage of Scripture uh, at the end of last week and and just (laughs) restudying it again today. And uh, interesting and wonderful passage of Scripture, Galatians chapter 3. Uh, well, let's read verses 19 to 29 as we continue our study as the Apostle Paul here, writing to the church of Galatia, uh, giving them admonition against those who would seek to impose uh, the law or some works uh, upon belief in Christ and salvation. Verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." For as many of you have been baptized in Christ and put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seeds, seed, excuse me, and heirs according to the promise. We looked here in the first part of this, we've spoken about the last few weeks, and uh, verse 24, 25, the idea that the law and the guiltiness of sin it pushes us under Christ in the guiltiness that we feel, and thereby we come before God in our, in our brokenness and in our guiltiness, and we ask Him for forgiveness of all our sins. And we'll pick up tonight on the equality that every person has uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, that we are, it doesn't matter where we're from, what culture we're from, we all have access to the family of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for being our gracious Savior. And Father, I want to just uh, ask for your wisdom tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word faithfully, accurately, precisely. And Father, in our hearts and lives and minds, Lord, may we keep ourselves stayed upon thee. Lord, should there be someone watching tonight who is confused and maybe believing maybe even in baptism for their salvation, Lord, they'd realize that that's not the true way. They must come by faith alone in Jesus Christ. God, I give tonight to you. I thank you for being our gracious Savior. Lord, you take over and I'll follow you. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. In his closing argument that we find here, Paul sets forth four glorious contrasts between now what we have in Christ and what the Jews had in the law. If you remember, he says here in verse uh, 26, for you're all the children of God, how? By faith in Christ Jesus. He is definitively 
showing that there is nothing that you and I can do to merit the grace of God. Now, we must understand our position and by faith put our faith in Christ but I cannot be good enough. I can't do baptism. I can't speak in tongues or anything else. There's no work that I can do that can render me right with God apart from only faith in Christ. Now the word huios here, which is sons and children, huios, is offspring of God with reference to origin and nature. It's our relationship. I am a child of God, and so are you, if you know Jesus as your Savior. He's drawing a contrast between the state of an adolescent who's still under the restraints of a, the Mosaic law, uh, of a child at home with a child that is now older, and uh, we are now a, a sonship in Christ. I'm no longer just a, uh, an infant. You know, I have that close relationship with the Father, just as you do. And uh, who in his right mind would want to go back to the bondage of the law? I mean, who would want to have all of the, uh, the trappings of you have to follow all of these uh, holidays, you have to follow, be perfect as you execute the law, uh, all the sacrifices and, there on, and so forth. Uh, that is a very difficult thing, and we talked about how it's absolutely impossible because as I am doing every sacrifice, if I'm doing it according to the Mosaic law, not only am I to act on the law, but I must also have my heart loving God perfectly as I execute these actions. And none of us can do that, so we all fall short. All of us are sinners. We come to a new factor here. He says, for as many of you have been baptized in Christ and put on Christ. There is a differentiation now. Uh, what he's saying here is there is a division as we're putting on Christ. There is a, it's, it's, the, the analogy is of putting on clothes. I'm putting off the law and I'm putting on Christ. Now, we understand, and I'm going to do a little bit of discussion here, uh, of water baptism. Now, water baptism does not put us into the family of Christ. Now, he's talking about children of God. He's talking about Abraham. So in this idea here, in the imagery, is we are put, uh, when, we, when we are saved, we are put into the family of God. And that's all believers are put into the family of God. Now, the context surrounding Adam's seed now here is clearly speaking of family. It is, uh, and I'll go on with this. But Paul had learned the, the lesson here with the Jewish people that they like their religious rituals. They had all the trappings of the circumcision that they wanted to put upon uh, those who were the physical lineage of Abraham. And there may have been those who wanted to put upon someone uh, also uh, water baptism. But he's drawing a different case here. They put on Christ and the Lord Himself ordained, right? In Matthew 28, 19, to publicly and our identity with Christ. And after salvation, Paul himself was baptized. And the normal practice that we find in a New Testament church is you I just want to deal with this idea of baptism here shortly, but <clears throat> this is putting in putting when we accept Christ, we're put into the family of God. Now, in Acts chapter 8, 
it is very clear that baptism always succeeds or is always after someone comes to faith in Christ. Let me show you a few passages of Scripture to uh, point out the, the truthfulness of that statement. Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 38. <clears throat> and there's a lot more with respect to baptism, but uh, he had mentioned it here, and so I wanted to bring that up tonight as we are going through this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. The Ethiopian eunuch and Philip uh, here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, Ethiopian eunuch is there. And uh, here is Philip. He's out of the church and uh, baptizing under the authority of that church. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came under a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What the hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And there come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And we find here in the passage of Scripture that obviously it is very imperative that the eunuch had faith first. Now, in the modern translations, they remove verse 37. They remove it. And the reason being because it conflicts with a baptismal regeneration uh, heresy where you must be baptized to be saved. So the modern translations, most of them will remove verse 37. That's free, but that's just an aside. You can look that up, Acts 8, 37. And many of your translations, the modern translations, are removed. Uh, NIV, ESV, RSV, uh, they remove that passage of Scripture. Let's look at me at Acts chapter 9, another passage of Scripture. Uh, and just, I'm just proving that from the scriptures we understand that water baptism has no ability or virtue to make you or I a child of God. There's much more to it, but in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, so notice with me, he's calling him brother, so he's obviously put his faith in Christ. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately there fell from his eyes, and had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So Paul was here with the church. And uh, Paul would have never pointed to baptism as a time when he was placed in Christ. He would have pointed to the moment there in Damascus, Ananias called him brother. So he already has a pre-existing faith. Now, baptism is significant. In baptism, a believer takes their stand in their water. They are, there's a, there is a picture of a baptism. Someone goes into the water, they're, death, they're dead to themselves, dead to the, the sin, and they rise to, lie, to live for Christ. You know, and uh, they die a natural death, and they rise a new man, a picture of that. That's the picture of baptism. And so if a person falls overboard, uh, and, and, you know, they're not quickly rescued, they'll drown. Now they're not baptized then, okay? And, uh, you know, the, the idea is, when that idea of going under the water is when Christ died, I'm dead, 
my old nature is dead, and I'm now picturing to those who are observing that I am alive to Jesus Christ. I'm participating, if you would, in the idea of Calvary's cross of a death to me. I'm identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. But as the word uh, baptizo, now there is uh, in our, the, the word baptism in our uh, King James, in our language, in our scriptures, is a transliteration because uh, those who were translating the scriptures, many of them were of the Church of England, and so because of some of the controversies, they didn't want to put it as immerse, so they put it as baptism because they would agree with, uh, with infant baptism and baptismal regeneration, and so they just kept it as baptism to whatever, but anyways, that's there as well. But uh, nevertheless, if you look at baptism in every instance of Scripture, there is, in, in all of the physical places where Jesus was baptized, he went under the water, fully under the water, and came out of it. So the whole sprinkling and pouring is completely unbiblical, and it is not an acceptable mode of baptism. Nevertheless, <clears throat> let's look at Romans chapter 6 here, another idea here on this uh, imagery of baptism. Romans Chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism to death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We ought to be different. It really is a public declaration of a surrender to Jesus Christ. When Christ arose, I arose. I stand with him on resurrection ground, and I want to give the rest of my life to serving him. I am surrendering my will to the Lord. A person should seek to unite themselves Thereafter, as we find in Acts chapter 2, after a person is baptized, they ought to unite themselves with a local New Testament church, as we find exemplified in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And the head of every local church uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ, as we find in the Scriptures. But Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there added to them about 3,000 souls. So we find there on the day of Pentecost, people were saved, then they were baptized, and then they were added to the church. They joined. They said, hey, if I'm going to make a declaration to, be, to join Jesus Christ, then I want to be a part of the very thing, the institution which Christ started. And so they, they joined the church of Jerusalem. And uh, they wanted to walk in newness of life. Now, what follows scriptural baptism? And as I'm saying here, we feel it's a door into the local church. Biblical New Testament churches, uh, writes here, as David Cloud, and following the pattern of the Jerusalem church, received members upon their public profession of faith and scriptural baptism. Now, this is the issue that many times uh, dictates baptism. Who has the authority to baptize? Baptism is a local church ordinance. You can't universally do it. Uh, It is not by any random person that is a believer. There ought to be a a way, and and we find uh, in scriptures on this. But also, there are proper New Testament churches with sound New Testament doctrinal faith that have the authority to baptize. 
If a, an entity which calls itself a church has wrong doctrine, it does not have the authority to baptize. And the very thing is, you know, they, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Jesus would talk about the faith. And so a wrong doctrine, wrong faith, you lose your authority to conduct the Lord's ordinances as they are given. In 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. He says something here. Why don't you turn to 1 Timothy 3.15. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3.15. This is a very important point. In the acceptance of baptism from any entity is to accept the doctrine of the entity as a legitimate uh, biblical New Testament church. We the only way that we really determine is by doctrine what is biblical and what is not. So in 1 Timothy 3.15, we find something here. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. He's calling the church here. He's speaking to Timothy, the pastoral epistle, in the house of God. He notes something about this very place to where the Timothy is meeting, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Every local New Testament church is, is the pillar and ground of the truth, and we are to perpetuate uh, the truth of God's word. So to summarize, scriptural baptism has the following characteristics. It has, number one, a proper subject. A sinner who has repented of their sins and believed Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number two, a proper mode. The only mode in the scriptures is immersion, full immersion under the water, because that under the water is a significance of a picture of dying, like Christ died and went into the grave. He came out of it, he resurrected. So you're now to walk in newness of life. And so it must be a one-time full immersion under the water. Next of all, there is a proper uh, purpose, a public testimony of faith in Christ and a picture of the gospel. You're not doing baptism to make you a child of God. And uh, I'll talk about this on this uh, there's a theology out there called baptismal regeneration. And I'm going to talk about this here briefly. Uh, the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because it comes up in our passage, and so I wanted to give a little bit of teaching on this idea of baptismal regeneration, and it is taught, and we find it even uh, around our area here. Uh, so a public testimony of faith, I just want to let people know that I want to serve Jesus with my life for the rest of my life, I am given myself to him. I, I, I want to be obedient to the Lord as 1 Peter 3.21 commands me. Last of all, there is a proper authority. A New Testament church that is sound in doctrine and practice as a New Testament church has the authority to baptize. So it is doctrine and practice that determines whether it is a New Testament church. And that's our endeavor to be local New Testament churches, like what Jesus started in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Now, on the baptismal regeneration, this is a teaching of baptismal regeneration that you must be baptized, put your faith in Christ, and 
be baptized in order to become a child of God. This is the teaching of baptismal regeneration. I'd like you to look with me. Some people might try to use John chapter 3, verse 5 as a proof text uh, for baptismal regeneration. John chapter 3, verse 5. It is not a proof text. That's, I'm just going to make it clear. It is not a proof text. To, to assert that it is, is to completely twist the scriptures and not understand at all the context of what Jesus is saying. I wanted to, I'm only bringing this up because some may bring this up. And there's a few other passages I want to deal with this evening. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now we would find that, and through this passage of Scripture, you know, in verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So right before Jesus says, Born of the water and born of the Spirit, when your mother, when you were born, your mother's water broke. That's all he's saying. There's a physical water breaking. That's it. That's what he's saying here. He's not talking about a baptism. Here he's talking about the physical birth of a child. John chapter 3, verse 5. And, uh, you know, Christ taught that salvation is by faith alone. Uh, we find that, who, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't say you must be baptized or anything else here. False teachers will also use uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. You can read uh, John chapter 3 a little bit further if you'd like to look at it, but just for the sake of time tonight. Uh, but it is very clear that because just before he said, hey, I can't go back into my mother's womb. I'm a full-grown man. And none of us can. None of us can go back into the womb of our mother. That would be very silly uh, and uh, quite impossible to do physically speaking. And a poor mother if that ever were to occur. But, uh, you know, they'll use Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And, uh, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the fact is, <clears throat> how do we know that it is not saying that it removes sin? First of all, uh, in other words, it, it, takes, it doesn't take away sin. And uh, how do we know this? It means because of the sins that were there that they use, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins has two potential ways to be translated. Now, I'm just saying if you were rudimentary looking at this, okay? But in the, uh, it could mean in order for sins to be remitted or it could be because of sins already forgiven. And uh, it, you never find anywhere in the scriptures where God says you must be baptized for uh, the forgiveness of your sins. We looked at Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch, he, told, he said, you know, he asked Philip, what must I do to be baptized? And he said, you must believe first. We, we saw that, right? If thou believest with all thine heart. And so the very fact is, we also find, let's look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 43, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. 
Now where do you find here? While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Verse 47, can any man forbid water that, which, that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And the fact is, they had already believed. He says, for the remission of your sins, you must believe. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. I've got a few more passages of Scripture. See, the Bible isn't going to tell you one thing in one passage, another thing in another passage, and contradict itself. The Bible just doesn't do that. God is the author of the Bible. God's not going to give you contradictions. He just doesn't do that. His nature is very clear, uh, without confusion. Now, there's times in scriptures we don't understand, but it doesn't mean it's because we don't understand what the Bible is saying, but doesn't mean that God contradicts himself. He doesn't contradict himself. We have to realize there may be an error in my understanding, but there's not an error with God's word. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, and this is not me trying to twist the scriptures to make it work for God. The Bible is very clear. Never has someone had to be baptized to become a child of God. Never. And so this whole thing of baptismal regeneration, baptizing an infant, uh, people call here many times, hey, do you guys baptize kids? I said, we do. I said, but the, I said, first of all, I said, we've got to sit down and make sure the child has a clear understanding that they have by faith repented of their sins and asked Jesus to be their Savior. Uh, they must understand uh, baptism is always after. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Paul and Silas in prison with the jailer. They did not speak to him. Now, verse 32, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripe and was baptized, he and all his straightway. So here is Peter baptizing these men, the jailer. But he believed on Christ first. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, another passage of Scripture, as we deal with this once again. I know I'm going a little bit, just mentioning baptism, and while it's mentioning it here in Galatians, I wanted to continue with this theme, but I, I want it to be so clear in our mind that if anyone ever tells you, you need to, oh, if you weren't baptized, some might baptize three times, some might baptize face forward, uh, some might baptize Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Well, it's only a one time. Christ only went into the grave once. You don't need to be dunked three times. Uh, and, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> on that, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Now, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, so here we're talking about the flood, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto, even baptism doth also now save us. You can say, see, pastor? But then Jesus says something, God says something, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's telling us you are to do it for a good conscience before God because this is, is an obedience to the Lord. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to try to hasten here on this point. I'm not trying to belabor it, but I just want to make it abundantly clear, and it's been a while since I've uh, dealt with this topic. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. 
This is the, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians was penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, as the Bible tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize. Uh-oh, you have a real problem here, if you believe in this doctrine. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You can also look at 1 Corinthians 15. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. Uh, Rome, we know this because Mark 16.16 16 says that God's judgment comes because of unbelief. False teachers will also try to use Acts 22.16. I want to look at this here briefly. Again, those who are advocating for uh, your baptism, even if it is the right mode of full immersion, is not, uh, you know, it doesn't make you a child of God. And this is, again, putting, trying to put a religious law back upon someone, you know, uh, that God never ordained and God never ordered. Acts twenty two sixteen. Look with me here. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Now, in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is, is uh, recounting uh, his ordeal on the Damascus Road. Now, I want you to notice with me, in verse 13, something significant is stated. Verse 13, came unto me. Let's look at verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there came unto me, and stood, and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. So if a false teacher is trying to tell you, verse 16 is teaching, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, he tells him in verse 13, before the account here, of, uh, of the relationship that he's already a brother in the Lord prior to this statement. And so it's very clear the family relationship in Christ pre-existed. 1 Peter 3.21 very clearly shows the error of baptismal regeneration. Church of God, Church in Christ. Uh, there's several others that will try to use this. Lutherans, uh, the Catholics may use this into putting you where your baptism puts you into the church. And uh, it is a, not a part of salvation. It is a symbol of salvation. That's all the baptism is. And so it's, there's no redemptive value to it. And uh, at salvation, all believers are put, as we come back to our passage of Scripture here in Galatians chapter 3, at salvation, a person is put into the family of God. Galatians chapter 3 here. And uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we find this, so Paul is reminding his believers that the law can do no such thing to make you God's child. Following Jewish tradition, Jewish laws, and, uh, and all of this. Nobody in the Old Testament, nobody under the law ever knew uh, what it was really to be uh, put in, you know, to put on Christ. They didn't know what that was. Uh, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He rejected trying to be good on his own terms. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, as Genesis 15 tells us. And so the law of Moses, at the same time, can never uh, put, confer upon us salvation. It is simply by faith. We are clothed. He says, 
uh, baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is a, like, it's a clothing, a garment, much like Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 22 through 24, we'll talk about take off and put on the new man, which after God has created in Christ Jesus unto righteousness. So the fact is, there is a putting on Christ and a rejection of the law and all of the religious rituals of the Jewish people. And to remove the deadness of the law. Adam, no, I want to take an imagery of this. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they clothed fig leaves and they put them on, much like the law did. They try to work themselves up and clothe themselves and cover up their shame. God killed an animal and clothed them with the skins of that animal, like the picture of what Christ did for us. Nothing could take away the shame, but God made a way. And they had to put those clothing on. Now, one of the things that happens as a part of the family of God, there is neither, uh, verse uh, 28 of Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit of God which unifies uh, there in a church. The Spirit of God, He sweeps away all of the old, all of this old uh, uh, differences and, and, and all that we are, cultural differences. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. If you're a child of God, there is a part of the family of God. There is a, uh, we have the same Father. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, He's saying. In Christ, we are all equal. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church, there's a New Testament church. An assembly of born again, blood washed, baptized <laughs> believers called out to carry out the great, great, great commission. So the, what the legalists were teaching, what the Apostle Paul is hitting at is nonsense. They have no idea of the radical change of an individual that puts their faith, rep, repents of their sins, and trusts Christ. These Judaizers that are trying to bring the Galatians back under this heavy law do not understand the freedom we have in Christ. And they want to go through all the circumcision and all the other dietary restrictions. One of the other things that we find here uh, in this aspect of putting on Christ is it, 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 it abolishes any social difference. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or you're free. It doesn't matter whether you're a master or you're a slave. You're an employee or an employer. There's no difference. The social differences are gone. Look at the book of Philemon. Uh, as we find that Philemon, uh, here you have Onesimus and Philemon, and Philemon was a slave owner, and, and then you have Onesimus, his slave, that ran away. And maybe I, but uh, there is this, uh, there, we are all equal, bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find something else here that, that is mentioned. In verse 28, neither male nor female, it abolishes sexual differences. In the Jewish life and society, women were discriminated against, as is seen in the, the issue of the woman that wants to anoint the feet of Jesus. She is shunned. She is a woman of the night. She is a woman with a bad reputation. Uh, she was not to be touching the feet of a man, let alone in the company of other men. I mean, it just she was doing something that was completely uh, taboo. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you think about this, he was born of Mary, who was a virgin at the time. 
Women would many times minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. No woman ever heard him. He cast evil spirits out of Mary Magdalene and, and uh, forgave the woman taken in adultery. Blessed the woman who washed his feet with her tears and uh, honored Mary of Bethany with her significant faith. Women lingered at the cross and the women were the first ones to give the glorious news that he has risen uh, to the other disciples. And, and uh, first convert in Europe was a woman whom Paul led to the Lord. It was Phoebe to whom was given the responsibility of taking the the uh, the text of Romans and taking it to the church there she was the one to carry it and over and over again we find that Christianity gives value to women women here in equals different part different abilities different roles but equality in other religions women are not treated so well but in Christianity women are ought to be if we follow the scriptures treated well as equals and co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Each of us have a responsibility to fulfill what God has called us to do. And then we find, finally, last of all, here in chapter 3, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We have a seed here that God calls as compared to the seed of Abraham, descendants of Isaac and Jacob. We get to enter into the promises and heritage of Abraham who put his faith in Christ. We find in Genesis chapter 17 that Abraham was to have a seed likened to the dust of the earth. In Acts, Genesis 17, 20, uh, 17, 19, And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. Then verse 20 of Genesis 17, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. We do find a difference, and we'll talk about that here in Galatians, talking about Hagar as a part of the old law, and Sarah as a part of the new promise thereby given to Abraham as the original uh, promise. And uh, the spiritual seed as the stars of heaven. It is amazing. We are still talking about Abraham today. Thousands of years before, a man stepped out by faith from Ur the Chaldees, made his, his name put into the, the history of the Bible, and still talking about him today. What an amazing thing. And the, Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, is a father of all them that believe. The vast multitude is, is, is Abraham's spiritual posterity. We are his heirs of the spiritual blessings. And Paul, in this chapter, shows of the utter disregard of God and a belief in God, the abysmal failure of their teachings to try to place heavy bondage upon these new believers. And the Apostle Paul fights with all his might, saying, this is not right. 
The law has nothing to do with us at all. And Paul lifts his discussion to higher ground. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a wonderful truth it is that, you know what? When I accept Jesus Christ, I am made a part of the family of God. And so are you. And I trust tonight that you have put your faith in Christ. There is a time in your life that you can recall where you said, you know what, maybe you don't remember the exact day. You, you said, I know it's about this time of life. I understand sometimes we don't write those dates down. But there ought to be a time. You were physically born. There's a time you're spiritually born. It ought to be a thing that you remember the day you put your faith and trust in Christ. And if you've never done that, man, what a night. Uh, we find our world come into chaos. Jesus could return at any time. And you've heard the gospel. And the First Thessalonians lets us know that you could very easily, if you know for sure you're going to be saved, and you need to be saved, and you reject it, my friend, you will believe the delusion. And I trust that you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight. You won't go another day without accepting Christ. And Christian, may we rejoice in the fact that we are put on Christ, we're made of the family of God, that there's not a one better or worse than another. Uh, there is not this idea of a hierarchy, but there is an equality that Jesus makes. Amen. What wonderful truths from God's Word. May we rejoice in the Word of God and the fact that I don't need to do anything. Jesus did it all, and by faith I accept Jesus Christ. I accept that I am a wicked sinner, and I am deserving of God's punishment. By simple faith, I receive the gift. What a wonderful, wonderful, amazing, encouraging truth. So we'll have a time of invitation this evening, no music playing, and I trust there, wherever you're seated, with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll rejoice in the fact that I am put into God's family. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if, you, if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to meet with you after the service. If you're watching, uh, feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk with you more. If you're interested in baptism, being baptized, I'd love to speak with you on that as well. But I trust that we would be obedient to whatever God has called us to do.